Matthew's Gospel. And we're going to look this evening at chapter 13, uh, verses 53 to 58. I know we said that we, we got to the end of chapter 13, but we really got to the end of a section in Matthew's Gospel uh, that ends after he has spoken uh, the parables of Matthew 13. And the next section begins at verse uh, 53. Uh, In the church Bibles, that's page 980. And in the large print Bibles, page 1523. Now, some of you may recognize what one of these uh, post boxes are. Uh, For those of you that don't, in 2012, uh, during the Olympics and Paralympics, Whenever somebody uh, from the Team GB won a gold medal, uh, in their hometown, uh, a post box would be painted gold. Uh, You may recognize the post box on the screen because it is in Aldridge. Uh, The winner of the gold medal in the Paralympics from Aldridge uh, was Ellie Simmons. When a local local person achieves uh, in this kind of a way, Uh, the local population want to acknowledge the success of their local hero. But when Jesus had been traveling around Galilee, he'd been going with words and works of mighty power that had been drawing vast crowds. People wanted to see, to hear Jesus. And so you may expect that when He goes back to Nazareth, the local population there of his hometown where he grew up would be thrilled at a local boy who's made it good, having such a great impact in the world. However, when Jesus goes back to Nazareth, there was to be no gold post box, none of those blue plaques that go on the buildings to say this person was born here or lived here. In Nazareth, they did not want to celebrate what their local boy had done. In fact, the local people had a very different reaction to Jesus when he arrived home. We're going to see that reaction now as we look at Matthew chapter 13, verses 53 to 58. So follow along and just see the reaction of Jesus' hometown to the amazing things he's been doing. When Jesus had finished these parables... He moved on from there. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogue, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They asked. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? And they took offense at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own town and in his own home. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. This is God's word. As we come to the end of chapter 13 and move into chapter 14, We come off of the back of uh, the parables that Jesus has been speaking about the kingdom of God, where he has taught there about the different responses 
that people have to him. Following uh, from that, Matthew is going to show us the different expectations people have of what the Messiah should be like. Most of these expectations we will see are the wrong expectations. Some of them are right. But we see this, first of all, in Jesus' hometown. Rather than showing what they expect from a Messiah, we don't necessarily see that, but we certainly do see what they don't expect. They don't expect the Messiah to be a carpenter, a local man from their town. What we see when Jesus approaches home, having done all of the various miracles and teachings that he'd been doing, was prejudice. Prejudice that fed their unbelief. And that's really the theme of these verses in Matthew, at the end of Matthew 13. Prejudice and unbelief. The passage begins with Matthew letting us know that we are in a new section. Uh, it says, when Jesus had finished these parables, he moved on from there. Uh, a phrase like that, when Jesus had finished saying these things or finished these parables, is a sign in Matthew's gospel that we're moving on to a new section. And from chapter 11, we've seen Jesus around the town of Galilee teaching and performing miracles. His name would have spread around. People would have heard what he was saying, what he was doing, and word would have definitely reached his hometown of Nazareth. When verse 54 says hometown, it is talking of the place where he grew up. So he was born in Bethlehem, but his hometown was Nazareth. And in his hometown, we read that the people were amazed. They were amazed at what Jesus was doing. And I think the first point we need to understand from this passage is this, that the power of Jesus is evident. He is evidently, obviously, doing these things that are amazing. In his hometown, as he arrives, Jesus begins to teach in the synagogue. In their synagogue. It was, it was his home synagogue, probably. And the synagogue was an important place in Jewish community. It was common for teachers to be invited to speak, and no doubt the people would be interested to see what one of their own had to say, especially having heard of all the things that he'd been doing around Galilee. Now, Matthew doesn't tell us what Jesus said exactly here, but we do know that the people were, it says, amazed. Well, why were they amazed? Well, the reason is shown in their question at the end of verse 54. Look at what it says there. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous, miraculous powers? The people were amazed at his wisdom, that is, the things he said, and his miraculous powers, the things that he was doing, his works. They heard his words, they saw his works, now, we don't read about the works of Jesus here. He may or may or not have done uh, any miracles before he spoke. But certainly, they would know of his works in the surrounding area. It's popular uh, today among some atheists to deny the miracles of Jesus. To say that the, the supernatural is not possible. But they're not basing this statement on anything that is scientific. Because they can't. Miracles are supernatural. 
That is, they stand outside the realm of natural science. The evidence we have in the Bible, and there is evidence outside of the Bible too, that Jesus said and did miraculous things. And it's an interesting point to note that in the biblical accounts, Jesus has many, many enemies. But not one enemy ever denied his power. They never denied what he actually did. They might have lied about it, but they never denied that he did miraculous deeds and he spoke words of amazing wisdom. Here we see Jesus rejected by his hometown, but they did not deny the facts of what he was doing. What they did, and what his enemies often did, was question where it came from. Now Matthew's big theme here is to show us that Jesus is God's king who has come to save us from our sins. He is the Messiah. Jesus' words and his works have the power to save us, but they also if he is king, demand our worship. Jesus has shown us who he is. The evidence is there to back up his claims. But the people of his hometown, whilst not denying what he had done, they rejected him as their king. They were not prepared to give him their worship. They saw his works. They heard his words. They denied him worship. And that's the response of most people in the world today, isn't it? Throughout Matthew, we have seen the words and works of Jesus, evidence that causes a demand to worship him. And yet most people do not. What about you? Do you worship Jesus? Do you see what he has done? If you... uh, haven't been here for for the rest of Matthew's gospel, just read the first 13 chapters. We see Jesus over and over again showing us he is God. Well, Nazareth didn't worship because Nazareth didn't believe who he was. And what we believe about Jesus will determine everything about how we worship him. If you don't believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then you're not going to worship him as who he says he is. If you don't believe, then you're going to reject him. So why did Nazareth not believe? I mean, they they saw what he had done, they heard his works. What was it that held Nazareth back? Again, they didn't deny what he had done. They were amazed at what he had done. What held them back from worship? Well, the answer is prejudice. And it's the reason why many people don't worship Jesus today. Prejudice. Now, prejudice means that we have a mindset that prevents an objective consideration of something. It's a a mindset that stops us even considering something to be true. I mean, there are examples of this all the time in our lives. Uh, Just one example, because it would impact all of us at some point in our lives. Uh, We can have a prejudice uh, because of age, for example. We can look at someone and we may say, well, because you are young, I'm not going to consider what you are saying about this subject because you lack experience because of your age. 
Or, on the other side of that, we may look at someone that's older and say, I'm not going to consider your opinion on this because, well, you're out of touch because you're old. Or if you're in the middle like me, <laughs> you, you, you might get either one. But we have a prejudice, don't we? we uh, for all sorts of reasons. We don't really listen to what someone's saying because of age, because of uh, background, where they've come from, because of their accent, uh, a, a million things. Well, Nazareth had preconceived ideas about Jesus that meant that they were not going to listen to him. They were prejudiced. They, 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 they wouldn't listen to Jesus because of what they had already decided about him, about what he was like. And when we are prejudiced against Jesus, it feeds unbelief. Prejudice feeds unbelief. So we've seen that they were amazed, and it, but it, and it seems that the amazement was not really at the words and works themselves, but rather who the words and works were coming from. They weren't amazed at what he was doing and what he was saying, but who it was, one of their own, one of their own. Now on their own, questions about the source of Jesus' power like the people ask here, are not wrong. When we see Jesus in the Gospels of Matthew, uh, and uh, any, of, any of the Gospels, in the, if, we, if we see what Jesus is doing, we are supposed to ask, well, who is this? Where does he get this power from? Those are, are good questions to ask. They're not wrong. But verses 55 to 57 show that the, the motivation behind their questions were not a desire to, to really know and understand, but they were questions that showed a prejudice against the Messiah that came from their own town. This prejudice comes from the mindset of a, a small village. Now, uh, we've been here in Pelsor now six years, and I remember six years ago, we were told that we were moving to a village. And people in Pelsor... Uh, for what, rightly or wrongly, uh, they talk of this as a village. But we come from Devon, and we lived in a village. In Pelsall, there are 11,000 people. In Devon, that's not a village. <laughs> that's, a, that's a town. Where we lived in, in Bitterford, there was 500 people. It was a small village, and if you walked into the local pub and you were not from the town, everyone would turn and look at you. You would know that you were, they would know you were not from around here. If something happened in the village, everyone would know about it. Now, I didn't know every one of the 500 people in that village, but you know enough people so that you know what is going on in most of the lives of those in the village. So if you didn't know the person that something's happened to, you certainly know someone who knows them. That's small village life. It's, it's very uh, closed, and it can be very annoying at times. You don't have much of a private life. This is what Nazareth would have been like. It wasn't a village like Pelsall of 11,000 people. It was a small village where everyone knew everyone, where people knew what was going on in each other's lives. And everyone in this village would know who Jesus was. He'd sat in their synagogue as a boy. His carpentry business would have been used by the people of that town. Possibly, probably the only carpentry business in that village. They know he did not train as a rabbi. 
everyone would know he trained as a carpenter. They did not look at Jesus and see anything special whatsoever. And we see this attitude in their questions. Look at verses 55 to 56. So we, we, we see them ask before that, where did he get the power from? And in these verses, we see that it wasn't just a desire for knowledge. It was prejudice. Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Aren't all his sisters with us? Where then did this man get all these things? The naming of his father, it doesn't give Joseph's name. Joseph was probably dead at this time, but he's named the carpenter. His mother Mary and his brothers and sisters show that they know his background. They know Jesus. They know his family. They know his mom and his, his dad. They know all of those things. Jesus is not anything special. We know where he's from. And he's from Nazareth. He's not from a place that gives out divine power. These sentiments have expressed well, actually, in John's account of the gospel, uh, John's gospel account, of an, uh, uh, during another incident in the life of Christ. In John chapter 6 and verse 42, this is what we read people saying. Is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How can he now say, I came down from heaven? You see, they didn't deny the wisdom and the power of Jesus. The evidence was there. You couldn't deny it. But they refused to believe in a Messiah who was from Nazareth. Who does he think he is? Do you think, does he think he's better than us? Perhaps they thought that. Perhaps they didn't want to be shown up by someone from their own town. And so verse 57 tells us, and they took offense at him. The word there, offense, in the original uh, it means a stumbling block. So literally, they found him a stumbling block. The stumbling block, the thing they could not get over and re so refused to believe in him was his background. Where he was from caused them to, to stumble over themselves so they couldn't believe in him. They had preconceived ideas, different expectations about where the Messiah should come from. And their preconceived idea, their prejudice was that a Messiah was not from among us. And their prejudice against Jesus resulted in unbelief. And unbelief meant they denied him the worship that he was due. And this prejudice against Jesus, because of his background, even trumped the evidence. Do you see that? It even trumped the evidence of what he, that he was the things he was saying and doing that showed he was the Messiah, their prejudice even trumped that. It overruled it. Rather than look at the evidence with an open mind, which showed who Jesus was, their prejudice totally blinded them from looking at it objectively. In fact, for us, this reaction shows all the more that Jesus is the Messiah. Because this kind of reaction was exactly what Isaiah said would happen to him hundreds of years before. Listen to this from Isaiah 53. He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by mankind 
a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces. He was despised and we held him in low esteem. Describes well, doesn't it, the reaction of his hometown. Well, we may not reject Jesus because of his poor background. Being from a small town, in fact, that probably appeals to many in our day. But we have other prejudices against Jesus that feed unbelief. Here's some examples. Science has proven Jesus can't do miracles. That's in our mind. And so I I can't accept what he says and did because it cannot possibly be true. Do you see how that's a prejudice? Rather than look at the evidence, I've decided that the evidence can't be true. Or we may have a prejudice that says, I'm a pretty good person. I think I'm acceptable to God. I don't do anything too bad. And here's Jesus saying that I am a sick sinner in need of a savior. But if our prejudice says I'm not that bad, we're blinded to believing in what Jesus is saying. And perhaps a slightly different example, but one that came to mind, was a prejudice of being over-familiar with Jesus. By this I mean that you don't really consider the need to worship because you know all of the stories, you know all of the answers, you know the, question, the answer to the question of how do I become a Christian. You've heard it all of your life and you think that you're in God's kingdom because you've always known it. And so you think you're okay, you know it all, but that's another kind of prejudice. Do you see? You, you think like that, you're denying Jesus' worship because you don't see your own need to respond to his call to repentance. In fact, this is a similar kind of prejudice to the people of Nazareth. You know, because Jesus, especially if we are Christians uh, if we're in, our, in our household, uh, we're all believers, Jesus is part of our home, isn't he? And it can be a place where he's rejected because we think we know him so well. But our refusal to accept Jesus can also come because of prejudice or preconceptions about God's people. So, for example, all Christians are after money. All Christians are bigots. All Christians are miserable because they've got to keep loads of rules. Now, sadly and for sure, there are some individual so-called Christians that may fall into those categories. But that's not all of Christianity by any means. And that does not change the evidence of Jesus' wisdom and power, which still demands a response of worship. We need to approach Jesus and actually see what he does and hear what he says with an open mind that seeks to know the truth. Engage with the evidence. The power of Jesus is evident. Engage with that evidence and answer the question with an open mind, where does he get this from? What does this say about who he is? And as we ask those questions with an open mind, we are led to the answer that the scriptures give us. Jesus is the Messiah. The prejudice of the people of Nazareth uh, was specifically about his background. 
uh, Jesus spoke uh, a proverb to them. And we find that towards the end of our passage here in verse 57. A prophet is not without honor except in his own town and in his own home. This phrase is perhaps similar to one that we may have heard and use today. Familiarity breeds contempt. A prophet is an honored position. A prophet was someone that would be speaking out God's word. But people in your own home are not often the most welcoming to hear it, especially when it is spoken against them. This was true about Jesus and has been the experience of many of us as well, hasn't it? When we try and share the gospel with those who have known us all our lives, the response is so often the same. Who do you think you are? Are you better than us? The parables in chapter 13 speak of the different responses to Jesus, most of which are a rejection. Remember, three out of the four seeds in the parable of the sower were a rejection. And the rejection even comes from family and community. In fact, if you would notice, in, uh, the, the parables are sandwiched in between two rejections of Jesus. In chapter 12, verses 46 to 50, just before the parables, he's alienated by his family. And in today's passage, just after the parables, the commu- his, his village community is doing the same. And this is hard, isn't it? Because the rejection from our family hurts. We want to please our families. We want them to, to, to like us and to, to love being with us. And the rejection hurts. But Jesus understands. He suffered in this way too. Two of the parables uh, that Jesus spoke in chapter 13 were, were about the, the treasure in the field and the pearl of great price. And what those parables taught us was that the kingdom of God is worth everything, any cost. And here Jesus shows us that it can even cost us our families. But if we link those parables with this passage, we see the the following truth. It is better to be at home in the kingdom of God and a stranger in your hometown than a stranger in the kingdom of God and loved in your hometown. Let me say that again. It is better to be at home in the kingdom of God and a stranger in your hometown than a stranger in the kingdom of God and loved in your hometown. As Christians, we need to be prepared to be misunderstood, to be maligned, to be rejected if we speak the truth about Jesus. And we need to support one another as Christian family when this happens. Because for some Christians... When we are believers, some families cut Christians off completely and the church family becomes the only family they have. So we need to be a church that welcomes those 
and has them as part of our family, those whom have been rejected by their families in this world. Well, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 6, just a few chapters back, Jesus says uh, these words. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And because the people of Nazareth did stumble, they weren't blessed. We see that in verse 58. And he did not do many miracles there because of their lack of faith. What we see here is our final point. Unbelief is followed by God's rejection. The result of the unbelief was that Jesus did not do many miracles. Uh, in, the, in our NIV Bibles here, we see that he didn't do many miracles, it says, because of their lack of faith. But I, I don't think that translation perhaps makes it clear enough. It wasn't a, a lack of faith as if, if they had a bit more faith, it would have been okay. They just didn't have quite enough. They didn't quite marry it, match up. Now, what it means here is that there was a complete lack of faith. Uh, other translations say that it was because of their unbelief. Sometimes miracles occurred without faith. I mean, just one example, he raised the dead. <laughs> they had no faith, they were dead, right? But miracles did not occur at all when there was a complete and utter unbelief in Jesus, a rejection of who he was. And if you are permanently and continually rejecting Jesus outright, then he's not going to show his favor to you in the miraculous or otherwise. Jesus is God's king who came to save us from our sins. He showed he can do that by his words and his works, which are evident. Jesus is the Messiah. You will only receive the miracle of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, if you believe in Jesus by pulling, putting your trust fully in him. Belief. But Jesus here, we see, is the God who suffered, who was rejected. But as we read on in the Gospels and we read the rest of the New Testament, we see that he suffered all this and was rejected in this way for us. He left the glory of heaven to walk this earth as he did, not just so that he could show us what it is like to live for God and how we should do that, of course he did, but he came so that he could die for our sins, so that we can have eternal life and that we can live for God. I began the, the, this message by talking about gold post boxes that Olympic champions got. We're not going to get any of these for serving Jesus. I know we wouldn't get a gold post box anyway, it would be illegal to paint it, but we're not really going to get any reward from this world for serving Jesus. In fact, we don't really want applause, do we? Otherwise, there's a problem. But Jesus suffered rejection. He died for us so that we can be accepted by the one family that really matters. That is God's family. We may be rejected by this world but we are accepted by our Heavenly Father because Jesus has paid for our sin. That sin 
which causes God's rejection of us has been paid for so we can be welcomed into God's family. And when we get to heaven, you know, that is our real hometown. This earth, we're just passing through it. This is not our home. We may suffer rejection from our families and from our community. But when we get to heaven, there's not going to be a gold post box, but there's going to be something far, far greater than that. There is going to be a welcome from our heavenly father as he says to us, well done, good and faithful servant. Isn't that better than a post box in Aldridge or anywhere else? That's what Jesus gives us. And it's far greater than anything this world has to offer. Even the acceptance and love of our own family. Doesn't mean it's not hard. But it does say that there is something far greater that God has in store for us. Well, we're going to respond to this by singing of the sorrows that Jesus suffered for us. And he suffered them to be our saviour. Man of sorrows, what a name.